he kind of stopped doing that, and I prevailed upon him. We we were friends, and um, I would I would put him um, right up there. I mean, I think after my father, he's had um, the absolute most influence in my life. And he he um, he was a part of a huge church in Southern California, and the Lord said to him, "Go plant a church." And so he and his wife packed their stuff in their station wagon drove to Redding, California and started a Bible study, I think, in a living room somewhere. And um, a number of years later, when the Lord said, hey, you, I want you over here, he left a church that I think at that time was five or 6,000 adults, not counting kids and youth, a huge church, and, uh, and came to Olympia to pastor. I happened to be on staff at Living Water when he came, and um, he has a, a profound ability to hear the voice of the Lord. Today, he's no longer the senior pastor at Living Water, but he's an elder in the Foursquare denomination, and the president of our denomination calls him for advice regularly, consistently. Um, and, uh, and I've watched Pastor Burt elder the, the denomination at Foursquare Convention where there's four or, or 5,000 pastors from around the world. He gets up and says, hey, hey, hey. Here's where we, how we need to think about this. And, and, I mean, I've watched him do that, and it's a real privilege for us to have him come. I can hardly wait. I think he's going to talk about the signs of the days. I'm not sure what he's going to talk about. I just said, to, he says, what do you want me to talk about? I said, whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart, we'll look forward to it. So the 18th of October, you don't want to miss that day. So I encourage you to do that, to, to be here for that day. And uh, thanks for mentioning that, honey. Nice job. And uh, nice job on the Seahawks. I didn't watch the entire address um, of Congress that the Pope gave. I turned it off because it was a little longer. I'm, but somebody told me that at the very end, he said, go Hawks. Is that, is that true? <laughs> is the Pope a Seahawks fan? I don't know. <laughs> I might have just made that up. Um, <laughs> let's get to the Word of God before I get into trouble worse. Um, so Proverbs, I love Proverbs. Here's one from Verse tw- uh, chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Open rebuke is better than love that is hidden. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are lavish and deceitful. Okay, so today I want to talk to you, um, to, to especially to people in the room who feel some sort of weight up upon you because of a personal failure. You know, you let yourself down or you let somebody else down or you let God down and... Maybe today you feel the weight of, of that. And I think all of us, unfortunately, from one time or another, we fall short. We, you know, we just don't meet or, or are what we, what we think we're supposed to be. And we let ourselves down or God or, or other people. And um, I think when we let some, someone down who's close to us, you know, that we love, that we respect, that that we care about, it, it's, it's, it could be so much harder because uh, there's a quote here from a, a, an English poet, a guy named William Blake, that really states it. So he said, it's easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend. And, you know, I, we kind of expect those who are opposed to us to do stuff that's going to hurt us. But the people that are close to us, we don't expect that of them. So when they do, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it, it digs deeper. And, you know, I, so I was, you know, in my preparation, I was reading, you know, I, I just do it. I'm all over the map when I'm first. And, and I found this quote by another guy that I love to read his quotes, a guy named Al Einstein. You know him, right? You've heard of him? He can be very, very direct and terse at the same time and funny. He's very intelligent. Of course, he's gone. You know, you know Albert Einstein. Look at me like you know who I'm talking about. Okay, so he said this. He said, Two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. 
and I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I mean, and that can be so true, and to demonstrate that, I brought a little video clip. You can watch this. <laughs> Let's see that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that sign in the foreground says, warning, height 10 feet, 6, or something like that? Um, I mean, it's, it's, fun to, it's fun to laugh at that video since you weren't either driving the truck or paying for the repairs, right? I mean, I, mean, I chuckle, but the reality is the failures that... Uh, we participate in our life, they're just not funny because they hurt. They sting. And in a group this size, I know that there are people sitting in this room right now that feel the weight of some choice or some action that you've done in your life, and it, and it took you to a place you never, ever wanted to be. Maybe you made a vow to someone and you broke it. Maybe you, maybe you made a promise to yourself and you didn't keep it. Maybe you said to God, you know, uh, you made a commitment to to somebody and you just haven't kept that promise. You let somebody down, somebody that you care about, you didn't fulfill, and and you let them down in some significant way. Or you let yourself down, or you feel like you let God down. And, um, you know, it could be all kinds of different possibilities. You know, maybe... I think something that I hear about the most frequently is there's some, somebody feels, you know, you feel like you've neglected your marriage. You know you shouldn't have, you didn't think what happened would happen, and now you feel the weight of it because it's kind of caught up to you. Or for some people, you, you maybe you're facing a financial mountain right now. You, you made some risky investments or you allowed yourself to accumulate more debt than you can handle, and, and um, you think, oh, how am I going to get out of this? Or maybe... You were hard on your kids. You loved them, and you meant to be loving and strict and structured at the same time, but you were so strict that, you know, now your grown-up kids, they avoid you, and they're mad at you, and they just, you think, you know, this is never what I intended. Or opposite side, you were so lenient with your kids because you really wanted to be friends with them. And you didn't understand that the role of a parent is different than to be their friend. You can love them and be friendly, but you were so lenient that they've grown up not understanding anything about authority in their lives, and instead they are marked by rebellion, and they pay the price. They pay the price today. And you look at that and you think, I, 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 I've dropped this ball somehow, and I feel like a failure. And for some of you, maybe it isn't something that you did. Maybe it's something you didn't do. You've had this dream, and you just never felt the strength to step out in courage and take the risk and start doing it, and, and now you look at the circumstances, and you think, you know what, that opportunity came and went. I missed it, and uh, you feel like a failure because of that, and, and you know, if you had done it, you could, if I'd only done it, I'd be doing something better. I'd be living something different. You, know, you have all these if, if only, and you feel the weight of a decision, and if you could do it, maybe you'd even go back and do something over again. Today... We're going to be reading through Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read about a poor guy <laughs> named Peter who messed up really, really big time. And um, he really, because of the way he messed up, he deserved to be counted out. 
all right, write this guy off, okay? But because of the grace of Jesus, we're going to see that God gives him another chance. And I know for some of you people in this room, and as it is for me, um, there is some, going to be something in this message. There's going to be a moment for you with God where the Lord is going to bring hope into your heart, something that you need is going to happen for you today. So here's the context, and, and this is an amazing story to me. I look at this of humility and brokenness. So, so, so here's the, the context. Jesus had, had got the guys together. It's just before he's going to be captured, and he, he says to his disciples, you know, um, tonight... You're going to fall away. All of you are going to fall away on account of me. You're going to, you're, you're going to drop off. And Peter <laughs> lovingly says to Jesus, well, listen, not, not, not me. These other dudes, maybe them. I'm thinking, man, the arrogance of that moment, right? That's one of the, we're not even going to talk really much about that mistake. But he says, these other guys, they're going to fall away, but not me. I will never fail you. You can count on me. I got your back. I'm going to be there for you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, you know what? The truth is that, that you're going to fail me, and it's going to happen three times. And you'll know that this is true, because right after the third time, you're going to hear a rooster going off, and you'll know. Peter says, no, 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 no. Even if I have to die, I'm sticking with you. And yet, the true story here is that Peter did deny the Lord three times, and we're going to see how he overcame that and his own failures in the story. So first, I want to show you as we go through this, two of Peter's mistakes. Now, there were plenty, uh, but we're going to start with two. Um, In Luke 22, starting in verse 54, Luke says, okay, then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Now, at this point, he's been captured, and what's going to happen inside the house is they're going to actually start beating Jesus. There's going to be a mock trial thing kind of going on, and and then Jesus is going to come out. When he comes out of the, the house now, he's going to look a lot different than he did going in because it was a very severe beating. And, and the scripture says, uh, Peter followed at a distance. Okay, let's please remember that note. Peter followed at a distance. Verse 55, And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So Peter's following at a distance, and then he sits down in the enemy's camp with some other people. And I want to show you two of his several mistakes, mistakes that Peter made. Number one, he underestimated his own weaknesses. And this is important. He underestimated his own weaknesses. And we have to understand that every single one of us, every single one of us, we're absolutely capable of doing wrong at any moment. It's in us. We're capable of sinning. We're capable of messing up, falling short, letting God down, letting ourselves down, falling away from promises that we make, we're all capable of horrific sin just really pretty much at any moment. The very moment you think you're not capable of doing wrong is the moment that you are the most vulnerable. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, if you think you're standing firm, be careful because you don't fall. In other words, he was saying, you know, to those of you who might say, or, or when we would say, you know, I will never ever fill in the blanks, insert your infallibility claim here. <laughs> Peter's saying, be careful. Or excuse me, Paul is saying, be careful, be careful. And I think it's because we all have triggers. <laughs> and triggers that can kill our self-control or our self-discipline. And it just kind of can fly out the window. And 
know, I think we're all capable of falling short in any way at any time. And we need to recognize that. Do you know what... I know you know some of my triggers, but do you know, because <laughs> I talk about them, do you know what your own triggers are? What are the things that if that trigger gets pulled, all of a sudden your self-control kind of slips? I mean, because acknowledging, <coughs> acknowledging weakness is the very first step towards true strength. You're only as strong as you're able to be honest with yourself. So acknowledging weakness is the very first step towards true strength. And Peter... He doesn't even recognize his own weaknesses here. He says, I'm never going to leave you, Lord. I'm going to die with you. And then he ends up denying Jesus three times. He didn't understand or face his own weaknesses. The second mistake he made was he followed Jesus at a distance. He followed Jesus at a distance. And I, I just need to say for some of us right now, I really believe God brought you to this room today to, for you to hear that scripture because, because I believe God is going to lovingly convict some of us that, on this very point, he followed, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. And the reality is, we get to choose how close we are to Jesus. We get to choose that. Some people want to be really, really close to Jesus. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of metaphors we could play with that. You know, the, but a lot of people just, they, they, they seek him first at the beginning of the day. They, they want to be in his word. They... They, they really want the Holy Spirit to speak to them and guide them. They want to be sensitive to that kind of leading all day long. They, they, want to, you know, they, they want to find ways to serve him. They do it in, at work and in life and at church. And they, and, and, and they want to know what his will is. All of that because they value Jesus above all else. But tragically, I mean, it's, I think it's tragedy to, kind of today that, you know, to be pretty direct about this, um, a lot of people, maybe even a majority of people, it's more comfortable for them to follow Jesus from a distance. And I have done that. There are a lot of people that think, you know, well, I want the good stuff that Jesus has to offer. I Keep me out of hell. I want to be with you in, in the hereafter, Lord. Take me to heaven. I want the blessings and the cover, but I just don't always want the costs of following Jesus so closely. I don't, I don't want people to take a risk of people making fun of me, you know, hey, he's a Jesus guy. He's a freak. He's a Bible thumper. <laughs> I'd rather get the blessings, but I'm just not too sure. So I want to do it from a distance. When Safeco Field um, opened up, um, I had relationships with some of the guys that worked for this huge company that uh, put many of the technical systems in, in the, in the, in the uh, baseball field. And um, so they were up there a lot doing stuff, and they had all kinds of cool things that went on. You know, they had a flush test. They didn't know whether there would be enough water pressure in the stadium. So they got all these people to go to every toilet in every restroom. Uh, this is no joke. Of the whole stadium. And they had some way of assisting, saying, okay, one, two, three, flush. And then there were people measuring the water pressure. I just thought that was weird. Anyway, it has nothing to do with God. But, I mean, there was all kinds of crazy stuff that went on. Anyway, so once the, once the game started in the, in the stadium... They were testing all of this new technical equipment. A lot of money went into this. And, you know, it's a pretty high-tech sound system. And so I just happened to have a relationship with some of these guys. Well, they, because they were pretty important to the Mariners at that time, they were able to bring in people to help them. <laughs> I was no help, but I was people. So somehow um, 
So I came to a couple games, and um, they, because they knew I was coming, they said, okay, come in to do this, wait at this place. And then they took me a couple of times, and they escorted me, and they seated me in what today is called the Diamond Club. Now, if you know what the Diamond Club is, let me tell you a little bit about the Diamond Club. The Diamond Club are the seats right behind home base. I think the first five or six, eight rows, something like that. It's where the real... Um, it's, it, I mean, you are so close to the action, you feel like you have to duck so you don't get hit in the face by a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. It's serious, um, seriously great seats. And um, they got food there. Well, here, I, I, I took some, it's not hot dogs. You could get a hot dog, but, but here, here's, here's what the website says today about the Diamond Club. It's the same. Prime seats in the first eight rows behind home plate. VIP parking and private entrances. Private climate-controlled lounge with all-inclusive gourmet buffet and open bar. Okay, gourmet buffet does not mean the hot dogs that they start in April and they're ready by September, okay? (laughs) This is gourmet food is what you think it means. It's real food cooked by a chef. Gets better. Complimentary in-seat food and beverage service throughout the game. Hey, I'll have another cordon bleu. Okay, they bring you a chicken cordon, whatever it was, you know, whatever it is. Man, that's baseball, right? Okay, okay. And you get this is unparalleled view. It's a, it's, it's great. I loved being in those seats. They really are cool seats. As long as they have to pay for it. I want you to know. I checked the website, and there are Diamond Club seats available for tomorrow's game versus the Astros. If you want them, they're only five hundred dollars each. I, I love being up that close. I don't want to pay the cost. But, man, it's so different being there. I mean, I felt like there was a real chance. Hey, Lou, coach, put me in. I'm ready. You know, it's that close. You're that close. But it costs you something to be there. And when it comes to the Lord, I really, I really think that I, really think that I do, and I really think that you do want to be close to the Lord. I think you, you want to be in a place where worship is more intimate and meaningful to you. You want to be close enough to hear his voice and sense his presence. But, but, but we become occupied. We become busy in life. And um, maybe sometimes we come to the house of the Lord and we attend, but we're not really pursuing the Lord. I don't know. I mean, I think it happens. I, I, I've done it before, you know, where I would show up back when I was attending church rather than leading church, you know, I would show up sometimes late and arrive early. And I didn't mean to make anybody feel bad, but it was just, I just was kind of like, it was something to check a notch off on my, my checklist for the day. And eventually at a point in my own life, it led to a place where I started attending infrequently. And, you know, I'm preaching the choir. You're in church. You don't need to hear this. There's, in fact, I'm going to read a scripture to you that should probably never be read out loud in church because the only people that will hear it are the people who came to church anyway. So why do they need to hear it again? <laughs> but it applies, so we're going to read it. Hebrews 10, verses 22 up through 25. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And, and so, I, you know, why all this about staying close to the Lord? I, I really believe, I mean, I would hold the theological opinion that had Peter stayed physically close to, to Jesus, 
he probably wouldn't have denied him. Now, why do you think that, Terry? I don't know. It's just, you know, I mean, just a few hours earlier, when he was in the garden and he was about to be arrested, that's when Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the guy's ear. (laughs) I think about that moment, and I get a lot of, um, I mean, how serious was that moment, especially if you were the guy with the ear or without the ear? I mean, and, and Jesus does that, and he takes out this guy's ear. And, you know, why did he cut the guy's ear off? You ever thought that through? Doesn't, scripture doesn't tell us, but the only conclusion that I can come up with is he's a terrible aim. <laughs> really. I mean, it wasn't thinking, hey, if I cut the guy's ear off, they'll let Jesus go. I mean, he th- I think he was going for the guy's head, and he got the guy's ear. I don't know what was happening there, but, but you know, he's... His, his, he's saying, I'll die, I'll fight, I'll stay with you, Lord. When he was physically close. And Jesus, of course, has to fix that problem. He says, oh, hold on, Peter, that's not how we're going to deal with this. Excuse me, hand me that ear. And he says, ear, get back on there in my own name. Or something like that, right? Because he's not going to say in Jesus' name. Never mind, okay. Some of you get me, okay, but the rest of you think I'm just weird. Anyway, so... Peter was willing to die for Jesus when he was real close to him. But when he followed him from a distance, that's when he became vulnerable. And if I could just say right now, you know, for some of us, if you're following Jesus from a distance, you're never going to experience all of his goodness. You're never going to experience the best parts of his blessing. And you're going to be much more vulnerable. Because being close to Jesus is where you'll hear his voice. It's where you're going to, to, to know and, 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 and live in and experience the power of walking close with him. So Peter's first mistake is he didn't realize how weak he was. His second one was he followed from a distance. And here's how it cost him, verse 56. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. And what did Peter do? But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Now, that's twice Peter. I have to tell you, this particular translation, I'm reading this out of the NIV. I, don't, I mean, I've looked at a lot, of, but this really distracts me. Man, I am not. Just sounds like he's a beatnik. I don't know why I think of it. Like, you know, daddy-o, I'm not, you know, or something. I don't know. Okay. I'm sorry, it's immaturity. <laughs> so Peter replied, okay, that's twice. Now, verse uh, 50, 59. An hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I, do, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, Matthew, in the book of Matthew, he also talks about this story, and we just read about how Luke viewed this whole interchange. Matthew, um, in his description, he said that after Peter had denied Jesus the, the third time that, you know, that he had, in these confrontations, that he actually literally called down curses and swore an oath. And uh, you know, he basically saying, if I'm, if I'm lying, may a curse fall on my head. I mean, in other words, he, he was saying in, in, in his description of these conversations, Matthew says that Peter said, I swear to God, send me to hell if I'm lying. But those are the kinds of things he's saying when he's confronted by these guys. And, and that's how severe this was. And here's what's crazy about this. The only person that Peter fooled was himself. (laughs) Everybody else knew. Everybody. 
I mean, and I think we can get to that exact same place. We, um, you know, the only person that we're actually fooling is ourselves. Um, you know, everybody else around may, may, may tell you you've got a problem and, um, you know, well, I don't have a problem. I can quit any time. Yeah, you do have a problem. And no, you couldn't quit any time. If you could have, you would have. And you haven't. The only person you're fooling is yourself. Or, you know, I've heard this, well, my marriage is fine. I know my wife's a little unhappy and it's not the best, but it's fine. It'll be fine. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe you're fooling yourself. The only person that Peter fooled was himself. He says, you know, may a curse fall on me if I'm lying. That's how deceived he was. And three times. So verse 60 <laughs> tells us where this, uh, this really tragic plot goes. Um, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now what happens in this moment is heartbreaking. I just, I just look at this picture and it's just terrible, if you can imagine. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now consider the scene. At this point, it's very likely that Jesus' face was swollen and puffy, maybe bruised, bleeding, who knows, puffy, maybe unrecognizable. And the Savior that Peter loved, Jesus had always been faithful to Peter. He looks over at the unfaithful Peter, straight in the eyes. Imagine the pain of that moment. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. I'm challenged personally. And it's a good question for you to ask yourself. When was the last time that you wept bitterly over your sin? When was the last time that the weight of your own sinfulness cause you to break down before the Lord and say, you know, and I'm not talking about remorse, you know, remorse is different. Remorse is, I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance is like, God, I, I'm so sorry I let you down. I'm, I made a mess. God, I want to be different. That's what repentance is. So when I ask, when was the last time that you wept over your sin? I'm not asking you to work up some tears, say, hey, pass, pass me the onions, you know, not saying that. What I'm saying is when I'm not sensitive to the horror of my own sin, that's probably when I'm following Jesus from a distance. Because when we follow him closely, we tend to repent quickly and deeply because we feel the weight of what we've done. So Peter, he weeps bitterly because he knew that he'd really broken the heart of Jesus. And um, Peter, whom the Lord called him the rock, okay, the rock. He crumbled. Not once, <laughs> not twice, three times. And, and I can identify with that. Maybe some of you, same as me, you know, you, God, I promise from this point forward and I will fill in the blank. And then in a matter of days or weeks or months, I, I find out I'm breaking that promise. You know, I'm never going to do this again. Never again. And there you are again, and you feel the weight of it, or I'm never going to neglect my family. I'm just always going to be there for them. I'm not going to neglect my family. And then something, you know, busy, you get busy, and you just leave them behind, and you realize, I've, I've done it again. 
God, I'm going to always seek you first. And every time, Lord. And then you end up, somehow God starts kind of easing out of the decision process in your life, and you feel the weight of that. Peter made this bold, bold promise that he wasn't faithful. He absolutely and completely deserved at that point to be counted out. You can't be dependent on Peter. But because of the grace of God, Jesus didn't count him out. Jesus gives him another chance. And sometime, you, I'm not going to take time out today, but sometime you might want to read John chapter 21. It's a wonderful story about the restoration of Peter. And, you know, it, 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 the quick overview of it, you know, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, and he has this wonderful kind of extended conversation with Peter. He says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my I mean, you've read that. And Jesus forgives him and restores him and ends up, having Peter be what I guess we would call today the keynote speaker at this huge group of people on Pentecost, and literally thousands of people came into relationship with Jesus. How'd that happen? This guy who failed. This guy who denied Jesus. He, he later preaches on repentance and, and thousands of people. How'd that happen? Because there, is no, there was nobody better qualified to preach on repentance and forgiveness than the one who had repented and forgiven. Nobody better. Uh, George Burns. Many of you know George Burns, and you might, some of you, remember his wife, Gracie Allen. She, you know, they had this comedy act together, and um, she played this really lovable kind of, but airheaded person. And um, her misunderstandings were kind of like what they made their humor out of. And, and it was fun to watch. But they would have this show. And at the end of the show, she would say, you know, he would say, say goodnight, Gracie. And she'd say goodnight. It was fun. Accidents don't always happen to the other fellow. Be careful. The life you save may be your own. That's right. Say goodnight, Gracie. Good night. Goodnight. Some of you remember what a sweet woman she seemed to be. And um, as she was, he lived until at least 100, and, but she died at about 69, I think, or 59, something like that. And um, as she was dying, she was concerned for him. And so she wrote him this love note. And you see it up there. Never put a period where God put a comma. Pretty famous quote now. In fact, 20 years later, a... a denomination uh, used it as their motto and uh, people thought well they thought that up no I don't know who thought it up but I know that Gracie Allen wrote it in a note to her husband 25 years earlier and it's a wonderful wonderful sentiment you know but here's here's the deal from it you know you you feel horrible about something so we get to this place you know I've I've done I've messed up my marriage I've ruined it my life is over period But I'm saying to you right now, no, no. Don't put a period where God has put a comma. You know, my marriage has failed, my life is over. No. I'm I'm, I'm saying, but my God is still good. And with his power and with his love and with his his mercy, there's hope for my marriage because I'm not going to put a period where God put a comma. Or I'm struggling financially and I'm scared to death. Period. We put a period there. The world, the sky is falling. No. 
I'm struggling and I'm scared to death, comma. But my faith tells me that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Okay. Never put a period where God put a comma. I failed and I feel desperate and, and it alone, period, period. No, never put a period where God put a comma. I feel failed and desperate and alone, but I know my God will never leave me nor forsake me. And I know that he's working in all these things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I know these things. Never put a period where God put a comma. And so you think about what Peter learned through all of this. He learned some things. First thing he learned was success is not final. Success is not final. You might walk on water for a few minutes, but then there's a sinking that can happen afterwards. He also learned that failure is not fatal. Failure is not fatal. I think some of you need to know that. And I think that, you know, if you think you're always going to be successful, remember that we're failed, flawed people, that we, we are sinful by nature, and that we're going to mess up occasionally. But never internalize that failure. Here's what I mean. Just because you have failed does not mean that you are a failure. A failure is an event. It's never a person. And I want to finish this quote and give Winston Churchill his due. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage that counts. Did you know that was Winston Churchill? Some of you might have known Winston Churchill. And what's so amazing about the grace of Jesus is, yeah, Peter failed and he denied Jesus, but he was still allowed to proclaim the grace of Jesus. He was still... And and Jesus brings healing to us at the very place of our personal failure. That place that you think is going to take you out might become the point of your greatest strength in, in your life because our God will make you strong. Uh, his scripture says his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, don't ever internalize that failure. It's interesting that Jesus knew ahead of time that Peter was going to fail. And not just when he said, you're, gonna, you're going to deny me three times, but if you backed up earlier in the chapter we were into verse 31, Jesus says, he said this, he said, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan's going to take a shot at you. That's kind of creepy to hear from your Savior. But then Jesus says to him, but when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Wow. Jesus knew he was going to fail and, he, and, and, and Jesus also knew that Peter was going to turn back. When you turn back, Jesus knew that, that what Satan meant for evil, God would use for good. Read Genesis 50, 20 sometime. It's a great principle right there. And, and, and he knew that Peter was going to eventually turn away under some pressure and that he would yet turn back. And when he turned back, he'd be better and he'd be stronger. And that he would never follow Jesus from a distance again. I think there could be people in this room right now that are carrying really significant pain and maybe disappointment. And God knew about this before you got to this place. I want to encourage you and tell you you're not going to be here forever in that place of pain because I really believe that God is going to do something inside of you. He's going to do something to strengthen you because God just doesn't waste failures. He doesn't cause them, but he does not want to waste them because they're a valuable place to grow something strong. 
And that's really where his strength comes through in our weaknesses. He's going to do something to draw you closer to him. So Peter goes on and he preaches Christ for years and um, history tells us that he actually died as a martyr. And he was willing, the same guy who denied Jesus three times was willing to die for his Lord. The same guy who deserved to be counted out was given a second chance. And then because of the grace of God, years later, Peter's, some of his most powerful words, I want to read them to you from 1 Peter chapter 4. This guy who deserved to be counted out, got another chance. He said, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. In other words, he's saying, don't be intimidated. Don't, don't be weak. Don't be shaken. Don't be ashamed if you suffer as a Christian. But praise God that you bear that name. Praise God that you bear that name. The one who is weak and vulnerable, this guy became stronger on that very point. Today, if you feel down or discouraged or, you know, you're being hard on yourself. Not only did Jesus need to receive the forgiveness, Peter needed to receive the forgiveness of Jesus, but he had to have the courage to forgive himself. That's hard to do. And some of you need Jesus' forgiveness, but you also need to forgive yourselves. And when you do, at this point of your greatest weakness is where Jesus can make you strong again because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Peter's guilt was replaced by God's grace. His failure was replaced by faithfulness. And God will do the very same thing for you and for me. He will. I think we deserve to be counted out, but by the grace of God, the Lord gives us another chance. I want to pray for you. Um, and I want to ask you to be respectful and mindful of the people in this room because I think today might be a day where the Lord is doing some tender things in their private. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, please. Give people around you privacy. Lord, um, I know you're doing a healing work in a lot of hearts today. And some of us would just right now admit to you, God, that we have been following you from a little more distance than we ought to. I'm not going to ask for raised hands, but just be honest with yourself. Being able to identify your own weaknesses is the first step to true strength. If you have followed the Lord at a distance, just privately, right now, you could admit it to the Lord. God, I, I follow you close in some areas, but I know other areas I choose to not be close. Forgive me for that, Lord. Just say that to him. And you maybe will tell him the specific areas. Lord, I pray that as uh, as we, your kids, respond to you, I just ask for forgiveness, Lord. I ask you, Lord, to move among us now. And, and some of us feel pain in the weight of failure, our own failure. Lord, lead us to a point of restoration. And some of us feel the pain and the weight of someone else's failure. Help us, God, to forgive and to move beyond that. And Lord, for some of us, to, to move closer to you really means to take something out of our hands so that we can embrace you, Lord. Maybe, maybe the things that need to roll out of our hands would be things like hopelessness, 
I'm just going to say to you, church, I really believe the Lord, keep your eyes closed, please, but I believe sometimes you may understand the concept that we don't have something because simply because we have not asked for it. Sometimes we need to ask the Lord. And a good way to do that is a private yet physical gesture, such as holding your hands out before the Lord. I'm going to encourage you. I believe the Lord is prompting this response, this physical response, and the people are not looking. This is between you and God to put your hands out in front of you and to allow to roll off of your hands and off of your fingertips something that maybe you want to let go of and God will replace it with what he wants in there. You would let, you would, you would, you would let go of hopelessness and God would put in hope. You would let go of selfishness and God would replace it with charity. You would let go of a hunger for something that defiles you and God would replace it with something of godly love and a desire for his spirit. So Lord, you see these responses and you see my response, Lord, and I ask God for mercy. I thank you, God, that you give it. I pray today that the miraculous would be among us. I pray, God, for today for people who have given up hope concerning relationships, whether it's a marriage or with their children or a friend or an employer or an employee. We've gotten to the point, Lord, where we've just said, I can't fix this. This is too big a mess, mostly of my own doing or maybe none of my own doing. I can't fix this. Lord, that is not true concerning you. You can fix this. So, Lord, we pray for you to move into circumstances. And God, while we're praying right now, I want to pray for people who have a physical, a physical sickness and they don't have the faith to believe you can and you will heal them. And so they have rolled over and said, okay, well, I guess this is the way it's going to be. I pray, Lord, right now that something of fresh new faith would rise up in us. And in the name of Jesus, I pray for healings to happen in this room. I pray, Lord, for healings to happen. And God, I want to pray for, for the grandest of all healings, and that is broken relationship with the Creator. Some of us in this room know you, know about you, but we do not know you. And when the day comes where we will face you in the afterlife, and the question is, do, did I know you? And the answer is, well, I, I, I kind of heard about you, but I didn't have a relationship with you. That won't be a good moment. I pray, Lord, for people in this moment to understand the truth. Your scripture says that all who call on the Lord will be saved. I want to give opportunity for any person in this room who wants to call on the name of Jesus to be saved. It's not about joining a church. It's not about giving money. It's not about helping somebody across the street. It's about receiving the gift of eternal life because Jesus paid the price for your sins. If you've never done that, let that need be met by the Lord today. While eyes are closed, I'm going to look up and and just like pray with you. If you want to open your heart to the Lord, just catch my eye so I can pray with you. Okay? God bless you. God bless you too. scriptures say that there's a Lamb's book of life and there were names written into that book of life this morning and I'm so grateful for that. Lord, now for those who have opened their heart to you, Lord, speak to them. Bring them to a place where they understand you are true, truly the creator. You love them like crazy 
and that you've known about this day. Psalm 139 says that you knew us while we were still in our mother's womb. You know all of our days, they were numbered before a single one of them passed. Thank you that you know us like that, Lord.